0: Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Good, Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray in the chair as we kick off 2021 full of hope and anticipation that it will at least be different to the 12 months we've just endured. I was going to say better, but it's a Mm -hmm. bit broad. Different would be. A bit ambitious bit ambitious, that's exactly right. As we peer ahead to the new year, there's much to look forward to, with the professional game starting to get back on track, more regular events, including for the home circuit of our guest today, L.E.T. star Meg McLaren. Meg needs no introduction, but the tiny one that I've prepared will have to wait just a moment because it's tradition that my co-host Adrian Logue gets to say hello first. Logue, good to have you in, looking forward to the chat with Meg today, although I'm a little bit nervous given the amateur
1: psychoanalysis we do.
0: Hit on her yeah, with Doctor yeah, Ali Bose That's right. A couple of months ago.
1: Yeah, we're well, a little bit embarrassed to think that Meg listened to all of that and uh, still yeah. agreed to come on the episode yeah. today. Exactly. But anyway, <laughs> anyway exactly. let's see how this goes.
0: Looking forward. To it. And here's the tiny introduction. Meg G'day. How are you going? Thanks for coming on again.
2: I'm good, thanks, guys. It's always nice to uh, to talk to you both, and I almost feel like I'm starting the year in Australia now. Oh, doing wouldn't this that be nice? With you, like I was supposed
0: to be. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? We'll get to all of that and what 2021 might bring in terms of golf and whatnot. So first up, apologies. You did listen to the episode where we dissected the what was a really interesting academic project that you were involved with with Dr. Alley, which is unusual, and Neve, spelt N A I R N Neve, I think it was her part of that yep, Irish yep. thing that I couldn't get my head around. Uh, tell us about that. What, what were your thoughts when they came? And I imagine that you discovered a bunch of stuff about yourself you hadn't thought about because of the questions they asked you and forced you to confront.
2: Definitely, yeah. It was it was a fascinating project for me, um, and kind of came out of the blue. I didn't I didn't really know what I was doing. I just you know they, they were like, oh, we want to discuss your blog, and I was like, yeah, that's fine. Just send me questions whenever you want, kind of thing. And that's how it went. They just every every few weeks or a couple of months, they would send me some questions and they'd read through old blogs and things. So they were pulling out lines of some of these blogs that I <laughs> barely remember writing, to be honest with you. Whenever I was deep in my college, uh, in my college, well, you know, tournament golf and, and college life at the same time is, uh, is probably even more stressful than life is now. So it was interesting, but it was it was quite cool to have people look at it from a completely different angle than, than I've obviously ever done before, because I just sit down and write and, and wonder if anybody cares kind of thing. So
0: well, it, it turns out they do, and that's uh, a, a good thing as well. I asked Dr. Ali about this, but it's one of those uh, never-ending and probably unanswerable questions, isn't it? Who does the writer write for, the writer or the reader? That's kind of what that starts to get you. Why am I doing this? And and who owns the reaction to it? If people take your stuff the wrong way, is that your fault or theirs?
2: yeah that's very true and obviously I've been lucky that my reaction's been mainly positive when it comes to my blogs but I've had you know I've had the odd one that might have stirred things up a little bit or something that's been taken not the way I intended to so it makes you stop and think hang on even though I feel like I'm writing for myself Mm -hmm. I have to be aware that if I'm putting it out there it's it's open to interpretation from anybody um so I'm obviously I'm very lucky that Ali and Dr. Ali and Lee both kind of understood the angle that I'm coming from whenever I write. Um and yeah, really kind of led me down led me down a different part of my personality that I maybe haven't explored before, especially when I listen to that
0: podcast that you guys <laughs> well, <did. laughs> You and I have talked about this both on on podcasts and sort of separately. This this side of yourself you don't write just for the fun of it do you it's kind of it's almost a need isn't it it's a bit like golf it's a bit of an addiction
2: exactly yeah um there's the odd time where i think gosh i haven't written anything for a while and i i almost miss that whatever it is that it gives me i have occasionally noticed myself missing it which maybe i'm just more aware of that now because of part of this process that we're talking about um but yeah other times there's just especially in the midst of tournament golf I think there's there's a lot of things going on in my head and it helps me to to write them down and and realize that maybe it makes a little bit of sense after all if I can if I can put it into words then it must mean something
0: you can thing. sort of look back at it. Yeah, I write stuff for a living, obviously, but I don't have that same uh, feeling towards writing do But you, Logue, are also not working media like mm-hmm. Meg. You occasionally write stuff. It's a similar sort of thing. For you? I'm interested in this because I find writing a chore. It's a it's a job. Yeah. I can't imagine sitting down and just doing it for a bit of sport but you kind of do
1: and you write fantastic stuff too when you bother to do it yep. a bit more would be nice mm-hmm. thanks, thanks. Uh, well yeah I'm not an award winning writer like uh, <laughs> Yet. like Rod Morrie who's uh, just fresh off another couple of Australian oh, Golf Media Awards. Hang on, we're peeking no. behind the curtain. We're recording this before Christmas, even though you're listening in the that, new year. That's right. Well, this will be the first people will have heard about it. And this is, uh, you know, good, the Good Good podcast actually won an award as well for an episode that I wasn't on. <laughs> One of the two
0: episodes, Loke, wasn't
1: a part of last year won an award. But I just but I think that's worth mentioning. Um, so, yeah, with writing, I think I made the comment in the podcast with Dr. Ali that I, I do I, – I, I guess I have a similar mindset, at at least at the start of the process, to what Meg does. Where I've got the germ of an idea in my head, and to clarify it for myself, I like to start Mm. writing about it. And then it actually, if I'm if I'm really engaged with that process, it actually becomes something. Uh, There's always this effort, though. I find that I can achieve my objective of doing it for myself by just going through that process. But then to take it to something that I need to like show to other people, to take it public, I find that's an enormous effort way above and beyond just doing that little bit of writing for yourself. So the difference between a diary where you just write stuff down for yourself and it can be disorganised yeah.
0: and rubbishy, and then, okay, I'm going to let other people read this. It's got to be much more organised and cleaner and
1: polished. And- well, I could do, I can even, I've, even for the for yourself, I think you can get to, you know, 80 90%, tidy and polished and coherent but it's it's that last it's even the last two or three percent that uh, that that polish of the last two or three percent that takes an enormous amount of effort i find to to take something public Mm. Mm. is is that how it is for you megan
2: well i was just thinking about it there as you were talking about it because i i obviously write for myself a lot as well but it's it's different, it, like it's a lot shorter than the blogs I put out because it will be, you know, whatever I'm feeling or thinking to do with my own golf and tournaments, so I'll just write and see where it takes me. But it's a lot less structured than what I do in my blogs, if I can call that structured. Um, but when it comes to my blogs, I think it's more a case of I just kind of get in the zone. And, you know, you can sort of equate it to golf a little bit is that every so often you just, you know, you just go with it. You don't really know what's happening and you don't necessarily have a plan. You just know what to do and you do it. You know, and there's, I'm sure Adrian and yourself Rod, get it sometimes. You know, sometimes a sentence just kind of forms itself, Mm -hmm. you know, and and you don't feel like you've done it, but you know that it's, you know, it's good or it conveys exactly what you want it to. And I suppose there's, you know, there's parallels in golf and sometimes you just pull off the shot that, you see um I've never really connected it like that before but (laughs) I don't know if it makes sense or not but I think when it comes to my blogs it's a lot more a case of it's at specific moments in time Mm -hmm. you know and I'm obviously lucky because I can just do it whenever I feel like it rather than it being kind of something that I work at and and have to do for deadlines and things so sometimes I just know that I'm I'm ready to write and so I'll write, even yeah. if that
0: means getting up in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I write quite often in the middle of the night. I'll get up because you don't realize your brain's obviously plugging away at something. Well, or yeah. on planes. A wonderful companion to have, I would think, for an international traveling golfer where there really is, and it's cliche, you hear it all the time, a lot of time in airports and transport and you know, a lot of downtime of doing nothing. For lots of people, it's video games. I'd imagine writing would be a wonderful companion for a lot of those sorts of times.
2: Yeah, I've um, I've posted a lot or published a lot of blogs from the convey the luggage conveyor belt <laughs> because I've I've written on the plane and then I've just wanted to post it straight away. So as soon as I land and get some Wi Fi, and off it goes.
1: Oh, I'm the complete opposite of that. I'm, oh, every every totally single organized. flight that I go onto, I'm I'm all the best intentions in the world that I'm going to do it on the plane. Yeah, I'm right. Using, I'm using uh, <laughs> scare <laughs> quotes. quotes around that. And I never get anything done on a plane. What doesn't, do you do? Doesn't matter how long the flight is. I don't know. I just one reason I'll just try to and fly. Suffer, never get anything done. Suffer through it. Uh, uh, indeed. Do you only
0: write about golf, Meg? Do you write about anything else? Uh, Ever?
2: I'm pretty sure I wrote. I probably shouldn't get into this, but I'm pretty sure I wrote about the 2016 election in America.
0: Oh, did you publish that? <laughs>
2: and then, then I think you can get what you need to from it. Um, but it's usually just golf. And sometimes it links to kind of bigger things, but
0: it usually starts from golf at least. I reckon it always links to bigger things. That would be my take. Your your blog is interesting, which brings us to something interesting. You posted something, uh, this ties into a bunch of stuff, just the other day about trying to find a sponsor for the blog. This is a media question where you find yourself, and we spoke to Dr. Ellie about this, in this uncharted media territory So 15, 20 years ago, if you wanted to say something to the world as a golfer, you'd need a golf writer, somebody in the media to do it for you, me or Logue or James Corrigan or whatever it might be, and that still exists, but you have this direct passage now as well. So you've started this writing kind of for yourself. It's taken on a bit of a life of its own and got bigger than you thought. Where does it all sit now for you, Meg? I would say
2: it's much more a defining part of who I am than i ever expected it to be um whenever i was at the us open i did an interview with the usga and that was I based that, purely yeah. on my on my writing yeah. so it's it's quite an odd place to be in a way because i still think of myself as a professional golfer and somebody who wants to be kind of the best in my profession at that in that skill and yet the thing that i don't put anywhere near as much thought or time in me, that's probably in a slightly different direction.
0: Don't touch your AirPod because it makes horrible noises at this end. That's okay. Thank you. You should look surprised. <laughs>
2: um, so, yeah, I, and as you kind of are mentioning too, with with the tweet that I put out, it's I suppose it's something that I can use to help me in other areas as well, which I'm not sure I like doing, but I've maybe gained enough support that it's possibly something I can do. So we'll see if it goes anywhere.
0: I actually think you sort of should do it. I think Meg is giving something that people are taking pleasure and joy from, mm-hmm. and I think people would happily pay. What do you reckon, like?
1: Yeah, I mean, as a minimum, if Meg had a Patreon, yeah. uh, without even holding back content for Patreon members or, or something like that, I'm sure a lot of people would mm. would uh, contribute a little bit but, you know, every month or so to – to Meg's blog, um, because it's really worthwhile. It's worth worth paying for.
0: It's it's this weird new direct-to-consumer media model, which I'm not sure will ever take over. It'll never be like the mainstream media model, but I do think there's something in it. And particularly for someone like yourself, Meg, I have a Patreon, which I promoted once and I never have again, because I'm I'm uncomfortable with it because it's my job. That, to me, then feels like... I've always been paid by an organisation to be a journal and to write stuff and, and do things in that way. So, I have a very different relationship with the idea of Patreon, simply because of my history with – and I've always felt it's a bit like busking. You know, that it's not – you know, that's not my sort of place to do. But I think for what you do – I I agree with Adrian. If you started a Patreon, I know I'd give you some money. You wouldn't be able to say, I'm going to make this much money out of it every year – but I reckon everybody – most people who read your book, go, you know what? I enjoyed that. That was worth paying some money for. Mm. So we'll talk more about it off air. That's mm. not so much for the listeners. But I think that's interesting. But I think it puts you in such an interesting space. Is the writing overtaking the golf from outside, Meg? Not for you, obviously – but you, as you said, the USGA, there was, and it was a terrific piece they did. There was one on you, and there was another girl who's written a book, a novel of
2: sorts. <laughs> yeah, that made me feel very <laughs> 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 it's,
0: it's, it's like suddenly walked into the room and, oh, that's different. But but from outside, is that a danger? Does that bother you that people are starting? And we've talked about, you know, oh, she's the gender pay girl, which is a very narrow view of, of what it is that you write about.
2: Yeah, th- I think that one's uh, taking a, a lesser seat now, which I'm glad about because as much as I want to – kind of stand up for what's right and I will always kind of be behind the equality movement and what I feel women's golf deserves it's it's not been something that I've ever committed enough time and energy to feel comfortable kind of being defined by I suppose um whereas the writing is I don't I don't I don't have a problem with with people kind of using that as their kind of first thought of me because it's you know, it's a big compliment to me, I suppose. And because it's not something that I, I ever started off trying to do as a, you know, I want to be the best writer I can be. It's kind of just been like a bonus. Um, so I still enjoy getting the comments that I get. And I still, you know, I still put blogs out there and think, God, what if, you know, what if nobody likes this? What if this just dies a painful death and I have to stop writing? Um, and yeah it's a really positive reaction I think well I can't write another one now because I not I'm not sure I can top it um but it's it I suppose in some ways it's nice to have something as well as the golf because it it gives me something else to to kind of think about and to know you know a lot of athletes struggle with the idea of being identified and defined by solely their sport, which is obviously a very unhealthy place to get yourself into. So it kind of gives me that without me having to think about it.
0: And yet it's still tied to the golf. That's the beauty of it, isn't it? So it's not outside yeah. of the golf, but it, so it, it still feeds that addiction you have yeah. with the game, but in a way that's just off to the side enough to not be completely immersed in just the game. Which brings us neatly to so the idea of having a sponsor and patrons and all those sorts of things. How's professional golf going? Been a really topsy turvy. I hate the term year. Must have been awkward, difficult. You still got to fly around the world to play. There's not as much to play in. I know you had a disappointing US Women's Open, although you did hold that bunker shot, which made the highlight reel. So that was nice. <laughs> um, but got how, out
2: of
0: it. how's that going? Professional golf, tough, tough, tough gig, especially for an LT player this this last twelve months, I would think.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's obviously been such a weird year for everybody. Um, I have to say we did end up playing more than I thought we would, you know, whenever we were in kind of April, May time and in the UK, courses were closed for, I think, three or four months and everything was being cancelled left, right and centre. And you just thought things aren't going to change enough for us to be able to play tournaments by the end of the year. You know, and we ended up, I played maybe 12 tournaments in the year, which, it's still kind of less than half a season, but at least it was something and it gave me a purpose again, because I think like a lot of golfers and probably a lot of people in every profession, you kind of, you don't lose your reason to get out of bed in the morning, but you lose kind of your why behind a lot of what you do. Um, You know, and as soon as I started playing again, it, it was like an immediate addiction. Like we've talked about, you know, it's like, okay, I want more of that, even if it doesn't go well you just you want to figure it out and you wanna keep going and even though it hasn't been you know, I haven't necessarily had the year that I would have liked to have had, there's been moments within kind of this second half of the year that have kind of pushed me more than ever before and made me want it more than ever before as well. And kind of made me see my potential as well, which is kind of what we're all trying to do, I think, whenever we're out here is to see what we're capable of. So
0: where is the game? Here's the golf course. Where is the game? But yeah, there was a there was a good fight back at the tournament the week before the US Women's Open. I think you were four or five over through six holes or something, and you ended up, I think, finishing under par and in the top ten. So there was some decent signs mixed in with some other stuff. How is your game, uh, and what do we expect? What can you expect in 2021? That's a good question. No, it's not. It's um, a it's a it's a football <laughs> writer gets sent to the golf question. That's what it is. <laughs>
2: I mean, to be perfectly honest, I have, I have no idea what to expect next year, um, but I do know my long game's gone up a level from where it's ever been before, and that's something that I kind of know internally, and have my kind of own stats and everything to to prove as well, which is something that gives me a lot of confidence. Um, and even the US Open, you know, I, I obviously missed the cut um, by a few, but... I played my last US Open and my only other US Open in 2017, which was my first year as a professional. And I'd been playing on the feeder tour in Europe that year um, and doing quite well and obviously qualified for the US Open and was just like, you know, you get your keys to your Lexus at the airport and they're like, (laughs) right, bring it back at the end of the week and you get a, a player's gift from Tiffany's. And I just thought, well, this is the greatest thing on the planet, you know. And then I shot about a million And just thought, God, I am so far out of my depth, it's scary. And this year I didn't feel like that. And it's obviously three years later, but I am so far ahead now of where I was then that even though I might not have all the opportunities that I want to prove it, I kind of know that internally. So that's something that I can have as my bedrock no matter where I'm playing or what I'm doing next year, which I think is as important as anything else.
0: So as an outsider, I listen to that, and I think that's more important than the improvement in the long game.
2: Yeah, the, I guess the self-belief. Mm-hmm. You know, that's wherever it comes from for different players. Like winning obviously gives you something concrete that, that you don't get without winning. Um, but there is – if you've kind of been at one event one year and then back. You know, I I played really well in Dubai and it was a tournament I'd played the previous year and not done very well in. And just the the kind of tangible difference in where I am as a golfer I I can see. And that's kind of more important than than the results that at
0: this stage, I think. Yeah. They're not a dime a dozen, but really good golf swings and people who can hit the ball well, there's a lot more of those than really good golfers. It's only one part, and the other part is the intangible, and that's the stuff that you're talking about, I think. And part of that is learning your craft. You can't become a professional golfer overnight, or very few have that ability. There's much more to it than the golf. For A professional golfer, the truth is the course is actually the sanctuary. All the other stuff outside of playing is what takes over, isn't it? The stuff you're talking about, the they give you the Lexus keys and here's the dining and and learning the courses that you've got to play and how you get around and what flights to take and where to stay, all of that stuff becomes it's really hard to then play golf that first year or two in amongst all that. Nobody would appreciate that from outside the game, but that's the reality, isn't it? Definitely, yeah.
2: And it's you know, it's obviously a very fortunate lifestyle that we're in in a lot of ways. But when it comes to where the results come from like you said it's you almost have to look at tournaments as on that Thursday you're being set free in a way you know it's everything else should be gone and you're there to enjoy what you're doing and to you know that's your stage that's your platform and where you feel at home and that's what after the lockdown in the UK kind of what I really felt again for the first time and, and maybe appreciated more than more than ever before is that's just where you want to not have
0: anything else going on in your head. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Now, like you've been furiously making notes. What are that
1: about? <laughs> anything to do with this interview, or are you you're- you're planning out your year? <laughs> no, I was just thinking as a professional golfer, it's all you, you must have a very competitive spirit, Meg. But over this past year, you've only had a dozen or so opportunities to test that. It, how, do you find that frustrating? Uh, like the for me, I, I imagine you'd be wanting to measure yourself as often as possible against your competitors and uh, you haven't had the opportunity to do that
2: definitely yeah and that's that's one of the things I've struggled with I suppose with not having got my LPGA card as well is whenever I've managed to get myself into some of the majors like I've qualified for for Evian a couple of times and the the women's open and the US open this year it's like I, I want so much to prove that I can to myself that I can compete with the best players in the world because it's such a great opportunity to be there alongside them. That you know, you end up putting too much pressure on yeah. yourself rather than like I was talking about before, just going out and, and enjoying the fact that you're there to do what you do. Um, and I would love to have that kind of more regularly. Um, but at the same time, every tournament gives you an opportunity to do that and any i think it it can be hard even when you're playing tournaments if you're kind of middle of the pack or you make the cut and you're just sort of in one of those early groups on a saturday or sunday it can be hard to really get any adrenaline or momentum but you you get one taste of being in the final group or seeing your name on a leaderboard and it's you know it's everything that can propel you for another six months um but it is obviously because it's been a weird year. Normally, you get to off season or to the winter, and you're you're exhausted, and you're mentally, you are completely ready for for a break. Whereas this year, it's like, well, you know, I just want to get on with it. I just want to keep playing because I haven't, I haven't reached that stage of of feeling like I need a break, um, which is a shame. But you just have to use that, I suppose.
1: Is there a bit of a gambler's attitude to being a professional golfer where it's like, I, I just want to tee it up again next week to roll the dice again, because I know the more times I roll the dice, it's going to come up trumps for me because, you know, I can I can do this. It's just, I need opportunities. Definitely,
2: and- yeah. And, you know, maybe we're all a little bit delusional because we all think that if we had one more round that we'd, you know, that we'd find whatever it is that <laughs> we're right. missing, that we're looking for. And doesn't often work out like that but you know I had I played a Symmetra event earlier this year um and I was doing quite well and the last round eventually got completely abandoned because of the weather and you just think I was I would have finished top 10 you know (laughs) instead of finishing 30th I would have finished top 10 and you almost give yourself a top 10 because (laughs) you're that confident and yet you know we all know you get out there and it's it's a very different reality but it's it comes down to what we were saying. Yourself and you, you just want the opportunity to keep seeing them, I suppose, and seeing what they can turn into.
0: Yeah, we lost you for a little bit there, but I think we got the tone of what you uh, what you were getting at with you, you get to test yourself. Fairly regularly. It's a tough one, this one, Meg. Uh, how do you mark 2020 for Meg McLaren? What do you give yourself out of 10? So much out of your control, so few opportunities, as you say. So then how do you grade your own performance for the year?
2: That's, that's another very difficult bit. I that's feel another like footy rider right gets sent to the golf question. Block here. Yeah. <laughs> because I think in some ways I'd give myself a 10 because I haven't ever made a decision that I haven't believed in and I haven't ever gone through any round of golf or any tournament or any, you know, practice preparation without believing that I'm doing the right thing um but that's not to say you know I feel like I should have won in Dubai I feel like I could have gotten a better position in quite a few tournaments I feel like I could have comfortably made the cut in the US Open but you know it's you could say that I suppose on any given day and it's just trying to learn what you need to learn from them um I suppose that's how I've come to look at it a bit more, is if you if you go out there every day with, with the right attitude and you, you can't look back and say, I wish I'd done something different there, then you can't really be too hard on yourself, I suppose.
0: Golf's a funny competitive sort of environment, isn't it? Because you spend the bulk of your time at the very top of the game not winning. I won't say losing, but not winning. The winning percentages in golf are terrifyingly low for people from other sports. I mean, if Roger Federer's winning percentage was the same as Tiger's, we never would have heard of him. I think Tiger's at about 18%, and he might be 10 or 15% ahead of the next best in that sense. You spend so much time not winning. So almost every week you have these questions, don't you, about what you could have done differently. That's kind of the that's, – that's the golf journey, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's that, it's yeah, that you it's so crazy. rarely get there.
2: Yeah. And like we were saying before, you know, like I've won, I've won twice on the LET and I know without doubt that I'm a better golfer now than when I won either of those tournaments, but I haven't won since then. So it's, you know, what, what do you mark yourself on there? You know, golf is a game of results at the end of the day, but like you're saying, if we, if we only judged ourselves on our win percentage, then we'd all quit, you know, every week um so it's I remember I um whenever I was in school I had this debate with a with one of my teachers who said would you count it as a fail you know if you I was only obviously like a 16 year old amateur golfer at the time and he said if you got into the open next week and you didn't win would you be disappointed and sort of when you look at it like that you think well how could you possibly be disappointed if you kind of got yourself into a tournament that you've never experienced before but at the same time maybe that competitive nature in all of us will look at whatever the winning score is and think okay what do I need to do to get there so that's you know maybe that's the beauty of golf is that even if you do win there's always something that you can do better so there's always a question to be asked and always kind of an answer to find I guess
1: and and what is Winning in golf. Oh, really? Well, that's
2: that's the question. I mean, not to get too
1: deep, but over 72 holes when, you know, Mm -hmm. 280 shots or whatever – there's so little difference between in one shot it's just ridiculous but then somebody wins by two or three and it's like oh that's a clear dominant victory <laughs> right. but crush the with, field with you know, all of the variables in even one golf swing has so many variables in it and then repeating that 280 times so over. for Meg let's not mix up Meg's game I, I know still but the, those tolerances but in professional I, golf are insane yeah and
2: that's one of my pet hates in kind of what the media does is if somebody has any kind of a lead going into the final round, they will claim that it's that player's to lose or to win. And that is so far from the truth. You know, it's you obviously can go out if you've got a two-shot lead or something and play slightly differently. But, you know, you're always trying to hit the best shot possible. So it's, you know, you can see a four-shot lead evaporate on the first hole and then you've got 17 holes left and all of a sudden you're the one that's chasing. So it's such a false narrative.
0: Yeah. Four shots is almost the worst lead, isn't it? It's like being four up in a match because it becomes a should've. And once it's a should, it's like short putts. The pressure now is a different pressure. When you're one in front or two in front, it's a game. When you're three in front, four in front – your own view of where you are and the other person's view. So now someone's got nothing to lose and someone's got everything to lose. Where is that point, Meg? When is the media right when they say it's this player's to lose? How many in front do you need to be for that to be a reality, do you reckon? I know what you're saying. I agree with you. But you, might there's be asking, be there's you might be,
2: be asking the wrong person because whenever um, the tournament in Jordan last year, I think I got to – I think I was five ahead with maybe 10 to play. Mm-hmm. And ended up losing by maybe two, one or two, you know. So in in that scenario, I've effectively thrown it away. But I I still don't really see, you know, I I hit maybe one bad shot in those in that ten hole stretch, and the guy who won played great. And it's you know, it's such a fine line because if you, I think you only find that out by talking to the people involved, and obviously they might not be willing to do that if they've thrown away a five-shot lead. Yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's I was thinking,
1: a great
0: time to approach a player. I hey, think, can we have a minute of your
1: time? <laughs> that was really evident in the US Women's Open last week. I thought Amy Olsen looked in complete control during that final round. Did you watch that, Meg?
2: Yeah, I
1: watched most of it. And I don't think she did a lot wrong, really. It was, no, she
2: didn't. Yeah, yeah. And three. and somebody else comes along and... Yeah. and three, three, three birdies to, three holes, to finish.
1: So yeah, that does that. Yeah.
0: but. I remember Brett Ogle spoke about this once. Meg, you'll get this. His, I think it was his first or second event he ever played in America. He had an early tee time, uh, and he shot 65. And Brett Ogle was as good a golfer as you could ever find anywhere. And he walked off the course, and he said to himself, golf cannot be played better than that. That's as good as I've ever played, as good as I can possibly. I can't look at anything in that and say I could have done better. Yep. And off he went to the shops and bought some stuff to make dinner. He got home, and he turned on the news, and Davis Love shot 63. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what? What are you saying? What do you say to yourself? He said, I was convinced that you could not play golf any better than that. Here's yeah. a bloke that just did me by two shots. Yeah. yeah. So that's golf, isn't it? It's, uh- yeah.
2: And that, that's what I love about the fact that golf more often than not is a seven to two hole tournament because there's the one argument that you have, is my best golf better than somebody else's best golf? you know, And that's a completely different conversation to is what I'm capable of doing over four rounds of golf better than what somebody else is capable of doing because it brings so many other factors into it, which is what kind of the part of golf that I love the most, I yeah.
0: think. Well, top pros hate 18-hole match play for that reason, don't they? Because the margins are fine. Anyone almost can beat anyone. If you're a professional golfer in an 18-hole match, it's a 50-50 proposition. That's the truth of it, isn't it? And four-round tournaments aren't that. They do identify because the longer it goes on, the better the better player gets in, in that sense.
2: Yeah, and that's where, you know, you enter this whole realm of, of what is golf about, you know, and you've obviously got the, the distance debate, which I don't want to get into at all, and I'm sure you don't, but, you know, it's, it's which mm. elements <laughs> of golf you consider kind of its essence, you know.
0: Oh, now I'm thinking. Anyway, we'll
1: uh, <laughs> we'll go. What else you got in your notebook, Log? Like? Let's move on a bit. Well, just going back to Meg's writing for a sec. I I was, I, I, and I wonder whether this is an expectation or a pressure that Meg feels. Is I was kind of expecting a a U.S. Open article. <laughs> yeah, where's the where's do, our U.S. Open, do, piece? Do you feel pressure now, Meg, to to produce something when something when well, you're doing not until something you significant? Said that, no. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: right. Um, I do. I tell you what. After Dubai. I wondered if people would be expecting me to, to write something about that because I I don't know if you guys saw any of it, but it was televised kind of back here in, in Europe. So there was a lot of people I knew following it. And it was quite evident the way the last round panned out and I was in the last group. Um, so it, you know, and it was probably the, the highest level I've experienced contending in a tournament in. So I, I wondered if people were kind of waiting for me to acknowledge it and to write about it and and I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to dwell on it. I I kind of took what I needed to from it and was ready to move on. So it's it's pretty it is quite an it? odd <laughs> it's, it's
1: all about you. I thought it was <laughs>
2: Well, until I get a sponsor of it, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, so yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> very, very true. Very true. Mm. Uh, you- but no,
2: it is and sorry, now No, right.
0: you go, you finish.
2: In, in all seriousness, it is something that I've, I've thought about over the past year is I lo- like it is completely my own kind of instrument to write when I want, what I want, kind of, you know, whatever I'm feeling. There's no pressure on me that I felt to write X amount of times a year. And as soon as you do that, I think I lose something Mm-hmm. you know and that it's it's not necessarily something noticeable but it's it is something so it's it is a delicate kind of balance between what i'm using it for and maybe what it it can be used for i suppose
0: there's kind of a correlation to golf there meg in that it, it, if there's an exp- if you do it for a job it doesn't matter whether you feel like doing it this week or not. You got to do it. If you're a professional golfer, it doesn't matter if you shoot seventy four on Thursday because on Friday you got to go out and try to shoot sixty four. That's just the truth of it. That's 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 what you get better at. That's what makes you as a, a sort of a professional. But you have had a taste of that, haven't you? Have you still writing that column? Is it today's golfer you've been writing for?
2: Yeah, today's golfer, and um, you know they've been great to me. And it you know it was great to get an opportunity to you know, to be paid for my writing basically. But again, it's, it's a strange concept of, okay, this is your deadline. You know, it it becomes a
1: job, exactly.
2: but that they've been very, very good to me and given me the freedom to write about whatever I want. So it's, it's followed the lines of my blogs, maybe a little bit more than I would have expected or that I would have been worried about kind of going into it. Um, but then maybe that's part of the reason I haven't written or maybe I would have written more blogs if I hadn't been writing for them. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's all these kind of nuances that you don't, you don't know which way they're going to pan out. But I'm glad that I did it because when I don't feel like writing, you know, like, we, like we're talking about golf, you're going to get better at something the more you do it, mm-hmm. hopefully. So I think it is good for me to almost be forced into doing it if I don't necessarily feel
0: like it. Well, listeners, happy new year. I hope you're enjoying our chat with Meg. I know I always do. And even though we actually did record this interview before Christmas, there is still plenty of great stuff to chew on. We'll get back to Meg in just a moment. But before that, I wanted to remind you all that just being a talk and golf or good, good listener has rewards beyond just the thoughtful chat. And witty banter. Now, most of you will be familiar with our sponsor, the Golf Society, but what you might not have realised is that as a listener, you get access to a special code. Which gets you 20% off all purchases in their store. Now, when you consider the range and brands that the Golf Society deals in, you'll no doubt agree that that is a terrific offer. Ralph Lauren, Travis Matthew, Pete Miller, G4, Puma, and Under Armour shoes, the best gear from the best brands and 20% off just for being a listener. Head to thegolfsociety.com.au, the link is in the show notes, of course. Browse the range, and when you've made your selection, just use the code TG at checkout. And watch the total tumble. Try saying that five times fast. Uh, that's talking golf and the Golf Society getting your 2021 off to a great start. Now back
1: to Meg McLaren. Have you got women worth watching on your notebook there? I do. I was going to ask about that. I I thought it was um, you know an excellent initiative. I mean, you always like to see something to move forward the, this issue, and even if it is a bit clumsy, and I, I guess that hashtag was a bit clumsy. Uh, so the, just for backgrounds, the USGA's women worth watching hashtag. Well, the whole campaign that was launched, US Women's uh, Open. Yeah, and, yeah. And a lot of excellent content there was too. I agree. I thought it was mm. – yeah, I thought it was an excellent effort. And uh, I wonder – I mean, there's more of a meta discussion, I think, around this, which I'm interested in Meg's opinion on, that – everybody felt really compelled to judge that campaign not not so much to actually engage with the subject of the campaign there was this obsession with judging the quality of the campaign and is it condescending is it good is it bad like can we just get over that and actually engage with the, the content of the campaign is it are you worth watching Meg
2: well, the bunker shot was. I'm
0: not sure. <laughs> <about that. laughs> we didn't see much of the rest of it, so you're okay. Exactly. What did you, what'd you think of it, the women worth watching, Kim? Because Log's right. There was a – well, we know that this is what happens on Twitter and Facebook and social media is that people judge everything. It doesn't matter what you do. Someone will find a reason why it's a flawed notion. What was your take? You, you are the product that the USGA is promoting, women worth watching.
2: I think it was a, a good initiative um, – you know maybe not executed as as well as it could have been but that's that's the whole argument is it does it need to be executed to any kind of level or is it just enough that that they're doing it um it makes me think of the you know when the charity events happened over the summer and it all kind of kicked off because people were commenting on the fact that there was no woman involved and you know should it matter when it's a charity event and it's for the greater good and I think the point, the point that gets missed a little bit is that kind of how how I feel about it anyway, is that hopefully one day these things will just happen without there needing to be an initiative or it needing to be as a token gesture, you know, to, to fill a quota or whatever it might be. But until we get to that level, then you do need... You know, you do need initiatives and maybe you do need the odd token gesture just to to kind of create a space and an environment where it inspires other people and it influences other people and it makes other people aware that, you know, that there is opportunity out there um, and it's not equal right now.
0: Um, I'll give you a minute to think about this, live question for you are the questions in that sense about all these issues more important than the answers is it more important that we be thinking about it that we then we come up with definitive answers about whether the campaign's clumsy or good or is
1: it just the fact that you think and talk about it more important yeah it's it's a topic worth discussing every opportunity it comes about and uh, and and there is a danger, I think, to, again, to get into this meta-level discussion. What where is meta? What do you mean by meta? Like, it's, you know, not talking about the topic, but talking about talking about the topic. Oh, I see. Like. <laughs> um, but it's, it's that thing of like, oh, no, you're supporting it wrong. You, you know, you're supporting women's golf wrong. Right. Like that. But, you know, just I, I think at this point, just any support of women's golf is helpful. It moves things in the right direction. Um, so, and I do find that that judgment of like, oh, no, you're supporting it wrong is uh, is, is an odd mm. sort of way for the it's discussion to always veer away. It always veers away into yeah. that. Yeah. It's an interesting observation. Meg, what do you reckon?
0: Questions more important than the answers? Because there is no definitive answer, obviously. It'll be a different answer for everybody. What's the right and wrong outcomes for yeah, all this stuff?
2: I think that's where I've maybe – I don't know if I did it consciously or not, but I've maybe stepped back a little bit from kind of putting myself out there on Twitter with this issue. Of kind of respect of women's golf and it's partly because there are more people actively doing it now so I feel less of a need to do it but it's also because I, I feel like I've asked the questions kind of as much as I can and obviously I could do more we could all do more but it's the same questions now for me so unless I have a specific answer that I feel comfortable you know, is is worth supporting or sharing or know how to go about implementing, then I don't see the need to keep asking the question when my, my particular audience anyway already knows that that question exists. That's kind of how I feel about it. And I think that those questions do have to come to a larger audience now, which is why I think things like The Woman Worth Watching and things like us just talking about it are still worth doing because it's not to kind of the general golfing public. It's still not something that's as kind of has been made as aware of as it can be. Um, but we have moved on a little bit as well, I think.
0: So during the U.S. Women's Open, I wrote about this and got quite a bit of reaction to this this column. So on the Friday, there was bad weather predicted. They moved the tea times up, but they didn't move the TV coverage times up. So people turned on the TV expecting to watch the US Women's Open and they got the PGA Tour sort of exhibition event, the QBE shootout, and there was a bit of argy-bargy about that. Rightfully so, I thought. It would be unthinkable that that same scenario would happen to the US Men's Open. Unthinkable. So, of course, the first thing that people say is you don't understand the business realities. There's a TV contract in place there that has to be fulfilled. And it strikes me, Meg, and I think this does have a definitive answer, using that as an excuse to continue discrimination is quite dangerous, don't you think? And people will tell you, straight face, that it's absolutely right that if that's the business reality that that can never be changed or different. And that there's something quite disturbing about that, I thought, and intelligent people will put this. People I like in all other ways and respect will put this case to you that it's just a business reality. How do you respond to that?
2: Yeah, and that's – I think it's a similar thing with the supply and demand argument that gets tried out so much whenever you say you know why are the purses this much less than than kind of the men's purses or whatever it might be is I think there's a failure to kind of look at where that comes from you know you say it's a business decision but where where is that business decision originated and if it hasn't originated in equality or equity or however you want to look at it then it should be addressed And, you know, there are so many things in the world that are the way they are because it's easier or because it's it's hard to change them. That doesn't make them right. You know, there's and it doesn't also mean that the business decision, if you want to take that angle, can't actually work out better in the long run if it's changed. And I think that's that's something that people don't always want to look at either.
1: I mean, for me, it, it's a simple question of like look beyond golf to any area of business and industry, and there's there's ethical and, and moral considerations. Triple in, bottom line ideas in you, all of the mean? decisions that are made in any more than business. just money. Yeah. yeah, it's more than just money, and that that's if if you took away the ethics and, and morals of uh, of any any organization that you're looking at, they might make more money. <laughs> But, it, but then there's a case to be said that they wouldn't make more money. Like, you can, you know, by acting ethically, uh, you, can, you can actually move your business well, forward we've seen some more effectively. The, than,
0: they're a smaller pool, but we've seen some fantastic examples of businesses that have done that. Yeah.
1: You? I mean, there's simple things like, uh, you know, if you're tracking somebody's location on your phone, you, you're probably going to get amazing data, but it's, it's an uh, extremely unethical thing to do and you'll get found out and your business will be ruined in the end. But you know, in the meantime, you could be making big coin off all this ill-gotten data. Yeah, and and why? So it's why not apply that same thinking to to this situation where there's an ethical and moral responsibility to uh, have you know some degree of of equality there. And uh, you know, Meg does the same job as Bryson Deschambault. Yeah, it's, it's the same job. Um, and uh, and even if. You know, the, the you can make the point that even if the pay isn't equal, which you know may be an unreasonable thing with market forces taken into account, and you know even if the coverage is the corn ferry tour guys do the same job too, yeah, that's as do right. the blokes who play here in Australia in proams, they're doing the same job exactly. And look, it's you know it's nice that it heads in the right direction, but let's say it, it's let's say it's just never going to be the same pay. It's never going to be the same coverage. The fact is, it's ridiculously low at the moment. And indefensibly low, like the Beth Bethann Nichols uh, stat that she produced of 4%. Of, no, that was actually the USGA produced that. That was part oh, of that. We were run. worth watching yeah. campaign. Yeah. That I was mean, really that's indefensibly stuff. low. It, it doesn't it – t- it takes out all question of like, oh, you know, it's getting there or anything. No, it's just not even close. Is it moving yeah. painfully not, slowly in the right direction,
0: Meg, if we believe that's the right direction? Are we moving in the right direction?
2: I think we are because I think even though we've talked about – the problems with just talking about the issue rather than having answers to the issue the fact that we are talking about it is a step quite a few steps ahead of where we were you know however many years ago but I think it's funny because this might be um this might not be something that a lot of male golf fans or even professional golfers realize that I actually think a lot of female professional golfers don't necessarily think that equal pay should be a thing whenever it comes to golf professional golf you know they don't necessarily believe that that's where we should all end up but it's it's the gap that's the problem you know and when the gap is that much there must be something wrong with how everything has been kind of brought about there's
0: a systemic problem isn't there
2: yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not just supply and demand or market forces. It's decisions that have been made from the very beginning that have created such a such a gap in, in where the money yeah. comes from.
1: A
0: systemic bias. Well, s- supply and demand yeah. is manipulated. Systemic bias. Yeah, it's yeah. manipulated and manipulatable, isn't it? You know, there are big companies in the world. Nike is probably a fantastic example. They create demand. There's no. Yeah, exactly. They're not natural forces. (laughs) They're they're created. Yeah, and
2: like we were just talking about with the with the coverage of the U.S. Women's Open. If people can't see it, then how are they going to decide if Mm. they like it or Mm -hmm. not? You know, like you can't just say nobody wants to watch women's golf if they're not actually given the option to watch women's golf in the first place. Like these things don't add up.
0: Hmm. This reminds me, I wanted to chat to you about this. In fact, I want to find out where you started your golf, this whole Moore Park debate that we've just had and Moore Park's sort of been given a bit of a stay of execution. It's a course right here in the middle of Sydney, Meg, on public land. The Sydney Lord Mayor wants to take nine holes of it away, even though they do 60-odd thousand rounds a year. That's one of the busiest courses in the world, probably. She wants to cut it in half and take those nine holes, give them to... Uh, open public space. Let's not just call it public space because Park is a public space. Anyway, the point being, if you follow her logic and those who support her and you cut it to nine holes because it's a game for the few, what you actually do is create a game that is for the few because you force those people who are using that public golf course to have to go and either stop consuming golf or consume it in a private club, which you are publicly saying is the enemy. They're the elitist people running the game. It's a similar notion, isn't it, Adrian, with this – this business idea oh these are the business realities uh so you make your own case and
1: enforce the same discrimination and in fact engender it into the product am i making sense there i'm not making the connection that you're making there but i i, I like the combination of things you were saying
0: there. will you be more generous Meg, and pretend that you understand what i was getting at there
2: I think so. It's like a, you know, it's a self-perpetuating. That's what reality, I was looking isn't for.
1: Isn't it? Self-perpetuating. It's, um, Thanks, mate. Thank you, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I really got you here for. A See, reason.
2: occasionally I get in the zone. <laughs> um, you, you create this idea that something is the way that it is, and so you do things that make it more like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and and taking a taking a public course and effectively making people go private doesn't. Doesn't add up either. You know, it doesn't, you're taking away something that it is to, to fit the narrative of what you think it is.
0: Well, actually, Meg, if you're Jenna Price, who wrote a column for the Sydney Morning Herald, you will make the case that cutting the horse in half will, in fact, increase demand and profitability. Because there's less of the product, so you'll increase the demand for what's left, and then it'll be more profitable. And Jenna Price is an intelligent woman who writes intelligently about lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that was just a
1: staggering- And a lot of stuff I'm probably misstown. inclined to agree with. I'm probably, like, I, I think I've, I've read some of her stuff oh. before and quite enjoy it. Much more aligned with the Clover Moores and Jenna Price's of the world on
0: most things.
1: Yeah. Clearly, yeah, golf absolutely. is one of them. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: so, interesting stuff there. Which brings me neatly to, I wanted to ask you, Meg, where did you start? What role does public golf play? I think this is important for golfers at every level. Where did you start playing golf? Was that at- the snooty elite club that you're a member of now or was it somewhere else? <laughs>
2: I'll give Wellingborough a shout out here and say they're not, <laughs> they're not that at well, all. They,
0: but, <laughs> they let Tate in, so there you go. They must. They can't be too snooty, can they? Uh,
2: woven, woven, yeah. Um, but no, I started a public course and I actually, this is something I feel quite strongly about because did you see, you know when the L.E.T. produced the video for their new branding and stuff? Mm-hmm. And there was earlier in the summer and there was quite a lot of footage of kind of a lot of the golfers as youngsters.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, You're playing in a football so jersey, me,
1: I think. I exactly. was yeah.
2: one of me in full, full Newcastle kit, like head to toe. And that was at Wexham Park, which is where I grew up playing. And they gave me the freedom to do basically whatever I wanted. And it was the same with every kid in the place. You know, you could, they had nine holes. They had two nine hole courses and one 18 hole course and you could just turn up pay you know whatever like 2 pounds probably or something and just do whatever you wanted and you know golf golf has possibly two extremes of you know the complete opposite of that where you have to wear a shirt and tie in the clubhouse still and you know you can't change your shoes in the in the car park but it needs the other end of it as well because i'm not sure i would have carried on playing golf if I hadn't had the freedom to just go and run around and and wear what I wanted to and just be completely comfortable being myself, figuring out a game that I ended up loving.
0: Not to be too ridiculous about it, but isn't there something important there about women? Had you not had golf, what would you do for a living? Do you have the opportunities to be your own uh, business entity, which you are now, and all of those other things, which I think Jenna Price and Clove Moore would agree are positives for a young woman to have attainable as a professional golfer, there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that. That when you take opportunity away, even if it's for golf, where there's other opportunities that exist which might be more expensive or further down the road. But if you take that away, who knows what you miss out on? It's exactly if there wasn't the public golf, what would would Meg be doing? Would we be exposed to your writing? Is is the world a better place if that happens? I don't think so. I think there's something in that that's bigger than just golf.
2: Definitely yes. You know, I think sport in general, especially for kids, you know, there's maybe a different argument for once you get to a certain age or, but then you've got, you know, people coming into a sport at any age should have the freedom to just see if they like it without, you know, without all the other stuff. Because anybody who, I guess, enjoys sport at any level will, I guess, appreciate that it opens so many more doors than just sport. And that doesn't have to be physical things, you know, as, you know, like with golf, obviously you've got decision-making and you've got kind of the resilience that you need and attitude and all the rest of it. But it's also the, you know, the actual other opportunities that it can generate, like the people that you meet out there and kind of the careers that you might fall into because of somebody that you meet while playing golf. And if you make people pay big money, to do that whenever they haven't really had the chance to figure out if they like it or not. You do. You take away a lot of other things.
1: Mm. Yeah, well said. Golf is one of the cheapest sports oh. at for junior level participation. Yeah, and bank for bark as well, just yeah. cost versus time and yeah. all that
0: sort of yeah. stuff and what it gives you. There's a real – this is this is a part of the problem. We're somewhat evangelical as golfers because we understand. We get it. But if you're a non-golfer, it all just sounds like nonsense. And I understand that. If you didn't play golf, you'd think all of the, everything you just said is just nonsense. That's what you would think, and I can understand why. So golf's message needs to be better. I always come back to this notion that golf's single biggest issue is its image amongst non-golfers. If that image was different, I think in Scotland it's different. Meg, You would have played a lot in Scotland. I've certainly been there plenty of times. Golf in Scotland isn't over there golf is part of just about every town because the courses tend to be in the middle of town. It's not behind fences and it's not the way we experience golf here in Australia for the most part, or even in England and certainly in America. If it was, I think, I can't imagine you have these discussions as much in a place like Scotland because golf's just part of the fabric of what you've got with.
2: And that's where I guess a big argument for public golf Mm. courses would come in because that has to be the biggest, you know, the, the biggest way of changing its image is to get more people who aren't interested in golf, interested in golf. And if they don't have to pay millions to, to do that, then you're going to start to see a shift. Um, but you know, every, every sport to somebody who doesn't play it or enjoy it as a fan probably looks alien. You know, if you actually take what it is, you think, well, that doesn't make any sense.
1: So. Let's mm. run from here to there. Really? <laughs> There's something I'd encourage golfers to do, I think. Like we we don't all get the opportunity to do this very often unless you're playing a lot of public golf. But when you see a non golfer walking across a golf course, the, the default reaction is to like roll your eyes and then wait for them to go or wait for them to get out of the way. But like, they understand. Don't they? Yeah, well, that's right in my landing zone. Um the Imagine, though, how much better golf would be viewed if the default reaction when that occurred was to invite the person to walk along with you oh, for a hole or two. Okay. Look at him. Like, let's just change this over so that thought some, about this, you, I have. Yeah. So somebody's walking along, they're just thinks, wandering along. He doesn't speak till he's thought, don't worry <laughs> about that. And invite them to walk with you, like just, you know, a few steps behind and, you know, offer them a ball and a club and let them have a hit. As well, like, and <laughs> there then, is teeth gnashing on it, if going on the you're world golf. Not of going like you would like believe. Just like hit one shot, yeah, no. see what so they I, think. I, I, I mean, engage I mean. them in a bit of conversation. Imagine how differently golf would be viewed, and if they're not following you in the same direction, like if they need to veer off somewhere, hand them off to another group. Like, there's nowhere safer to stand on a golf course than sort of. With a group, yeah, like it's so. a pretty safe spot. Mm. So, if somebody is sort of just wandering aimlessly around, how much better would it be if you just invited them into your bubble exactly, yeah. and then and then hand them off to the next bubble if they're going in a different direction?
0: What do you reckon, Meg? I reckon there's like your tea party idea. There really is something to that. It's you a for, complete change. Of thank you for plugging that too. Notion, isn't it? Just it flips it on its head.
2: It does, yeah. And I suppose you look at something like football being played in a park. It's. That would it would seem a lot more acceptable for that to happen. You know, if there's some straggling kids, you could quite easily invite them to play kick if it. they were just in the park yeah. with you.
0: Kick them the ball and, and have yet- them kick it back, and now you've got a yeah. re- an interaction going. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Whereas golf has never, I don't think, ever really looked at itself like that.
0: What about the ineptitude that will obviously be on display? Like, will that not put some people off? Can you imagine being a non-golfer and having to walk a hole with me?
1: I, I think they'd be impressed that you're just getting the ball there for. Look, look at him having a go. Just oh, te- isn't it lovely? <laughs> yeah. I, I should um, just mention a little shout out to Scott Warren, uh, who's probably listening, but mentioned to me that he, this is something that he does. He's a member at New South Wales Golf Club, one of the um, you know, world-class golf courses in Sydney here, and it has a famous hole, the sixth hole, where there's an island tee hitting across the Pacific Ocean to a green. It's quite spectacular. Uh, and it's actually in a national park, so people can walk through. And walking there's a trail, there's I a, walking, a trail, walking trail, but yeah. Yeah. people go off the trail, particularly around that area where it's all these clifftops and it's quite beautiful. And people sort of wander out. It's a natural sort of tendency to wander out onto the rocks where the island tea is. So whenever he's going through there, he says, there's almost always some people just sort of hanging out there. And he always eyeballs them and, and sort of tries and say, oh, is that is one of those maybe a golfer? And then engages them in a bit of conversation, and he, he has some old balls in his bag, which he offers to people to say, oh. do, you want, "Do you want to have a hit?" Uh, and let some let some hit across the thing. I probably just jeopardised his membership. Right? Six, <laughs> but, <it's>, uh, <laughs> but it's all right, Scott. The, the whole idea. Open at Mangrove <laughs> Valley, <laughs> he mate, he wants to. He Valley. wants to let people know that uh, that is a know, fantastic idea. That any- members at New South Wales aren't a bunch of toffs, and you
0: know, and that we don't that we hadn't already thought of it or that don't naturally just assume that that's how it works. And they don't know that he's giving them the, his worst balls out of his back. No, like that's, 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 nor does it matter, yeah. Uh, that would be... I think we've made a step forward there. That would be uh, That would be fantastic. Have you got anything else in your notebook before we finish? No, no, notebook? that's that's everything. Your notebook is empty. Meg, have you got anything in your notebook? Because we're expecting more articles from Sorry,
2: Rod, you cut out there for a
0: sec. Probably for the best. Have you got anything in your notebook? Logue's notebook is empty. Have you got anything you wanted to... Uh, say or talk about or mention before we go?
2: Is it going to be disappointing if I
0: say no? <laughs> no, not at all. No, no, no. I just wanted to give you the <laughs> Rarely do, does anybody ask players or those who are in the spotlight, is there anything you wanted to say? It almost never happens. You get I'd asked all i what,
2: what was your favourite event to watch this year?
0: Oh, I didn't really watch mm, many. Truth be told, I watch almost no golf these really? days. Really? I'm almost completely absorbed in it's my all... podcast business. I almost – almost, right,
2: Well, that's me out of any future
0: podcast. I, <laughs> I almost do no golf
1: in that sense anymore. Rod's got a pretty jaundiced view of the whole of golf these days in terms of his own personal interaction with golf. Um, what was your favourite event, Mike? I'm
0: trying to think what I did watch. I didn't watch much of the US Open. I watched some of the Masters. I missed almost all
1: of the US Women's Open. Yeah. Yeah, I did I did enjoy last week. I I'm, I'm going to say it's recent maybe a bit of recency bias, but I I did enjoy last week watching the US Open. The in in particular Hinako Shibuno, who I'm a huge fan of. She's fantastic. <laughs> I, I just I really she played terrible on the week or didn't play terrible,
0: but oh. Damning, was it? Well, eh? she kind of, coming, actually, from
1: a, coming from a six marker from pinball. No, she kind of did play pretty terrible, <laughs> you know, after she'd put herself in position. But uh, I still found her incredibly engaging to watch and, um, and and it was a really quite exciting tournament. So maybe a bit of recency bias, but, yeah, I thought that, that event was fantastic. McLaren, you, watch and
0: watch and play. I'm sure you watched some and I'm sure you played. So what was your favourite to watch and what was your favourite to play? I don't know. You're not
2: supposed to turn it back round on me.
0: <laughs> uh, you're going um, like, to um, you wander into our world and you, can, you you play by our rules. That's how it works.
2: I do. I I enjoy watching golf on courses that I've played. I That makes quite a big difference mm-hmm. to me. So obviously, the, I mean, the US Women's Open is different because obviously I was part of it as well. Um, but I still, you know, some people don't want anything to do with a tournament after they've missed a cut or whatever it might be. But I, I find it intriguing and fascinating watching you know, how people deal with the combination of kind of the nerves and the adrenaline on a course that I already kind of know a little bit of its intricacies and stuff. So that was also why I enjoyed watching um, the Scottish Open, I think, earlier this year at Renaissance, because we played a tour event there as well. So that, I, I don't know if other people find that as well, kind of as fans, if you've played a course or if that's more of a professionals might be
0: might be one of the great appeals of being a golf fan is that a lot of the time you have or at least have the opportunity you can go and play the old course so to watch golf at the old course if you've played there is a very special sort of thing yeah no absolutely that's everyone
2: i think it's the same reason why commentators who have been or are players kind of tend to do a a good job at bringing something different to the commentary
0: Mm, yeah indeed so did you give us an answer there or did you just waffle through?
2: <laughs> I tried to skirt around. You have.
0: What was your favourite event to play? And it might be based on performance alone, or the course, or something, or you learnt something. Probably
2: Dubai for for those reasons. Being being in the final group with kind of two two top players, and obviously you have the the added element in Dubai of it being in the middle of the night, which is which is unusual and quite cool. Because The first time I played that tournament, it was it was a bit weird to be honest you know it, you just sort of you're trying to deal with the light as it's changing and losing the ball flight a little bit but this year I think partly because we'd obviously not had golf for for a while you kind of just appreciated the yeah, any golf. kind of how surreal that place is you know you're, you're watching your ball fly against the backdrop of you know all these skyscrapers and all lit up and everything, and it's just like, wow, you know, this is this is what I get to do for a living, which is is something else altogether.
0: It's a lot to digest, isn't it? It's a because it's also part of a society and a culture in Dubai where you have your own moral questions about the way that it's run and the way things work there. And here you are being part of all, and I, you feel the same as a tourist. You go to places where you, you have those same questions, and then you realise that moral moral questions about our own places where we live as well. It's mm. not as though we live in these perfect moral bubbles, and it's only other places in the world that have them. So that's all good personal and golf growth stuff, Meg, so I think you've answered that question well. Couldn't you? Remind us, because I, I'd forgotten about that, of course. It was the tournament played under lights, and you were, of course, in the last group. Who did you play with, and what did happen? I know you didn't want to dwell on it, but now you have to. <laughs> there
2: we go. This is the blog that I didn't want to write. Um, I played with Minji Lee, who won in the end, mm-hmm.
0: who's, I think, right. Ranked- well, we, we lost you for a and- bit there.
2: Caroline Hedwell, who's oh. – did you get the Minji Lee bit?
0: No. So Minji Lee, you said Minji Lee is okay, – I think you I... were going to say a horrible person who you can't <laughs> – is that what you were going to say? I can't stand <laughs> her and you'd like to have a fist fight with her? Is that what the – no?
2: <laughs> um, you have to get your editing work to, <laughs> into fruition there. So I think she's ranked maybe eighth in the world. Yeah. Um you know, and has won, won quite a few tournaments on the LPGA, obviously. And then Caroline Hedwall I played with as well, who's been in a lot of Solheims and won a lot of tournaments in Europe. Um, and Lydia Coe was up there in contention as well. Um, you know, and quite a few of the... Celine Boutier, I think, lost in the playoff as well. So there was a lot of Solheim players on both sides. And, um, and to be in the final group in that situation... So, I think I was one behind Caroline Hedwall starting the last round. Um, and I think I was tied for the lead maybe a couple of times throughout the round. Um, I missed, I think I missed maybe four or five putts under four foot and ended up missing the playoff by two. So, obviously, in my head, that's me throwing away a very, very good chance to win. I did all of the hard stuff and and kind of messed up what would normally be the easier the easier stuff but to kind of to know that every part of my game is kind of capable of winning a tournament alongside players like that who have a lot of experience in those situations and the only thing that really stopped me was something that I know is would 99% of the time be be significantly better than that is it's probably the biggest learning curve I've had all year, to be perfectly honest, even though it didn't end the way
0: I wanted it to. I was going to say, Meg, that that is the one part of golf you can't practice, isn't it, is how you react in any given situation. And that one in particular where that's it, this is what you've worked for, you're at the pointy end with the big guys. These are the people you've watched on TV, these are the players that the cameras are on. You can't practice that. You can't know how you're going to feel or what you'll need to do better next time until you do it this time. So it's hugely important.
2: It's one of those things that you hate as a young golfer to be told experience counts Mm. and, you know, you can't force things too quickly. You know, you can't, I mean, some people, some people win the first major that they ever play and, you know, there are those people out there, but in general, you can't put that kind of pressure on yourselves to, to perform at kind of the highest level that you keep getting thrown into, I suppose, and you you don't want to hear that as a young golfer. You want to think that you're good enough and that you're ready and you can handle all of it. But the reality is, you you know you don't know until that happens to you.
0: So more than good enough or not good enough, though, Meg. Did you belong? Mm. Do you belong there? I did. That's the question. Yeah. And if that's the mm. answer, then there you go. That's mm. th- you know what the outcome's going to be eventually. So bring on twenty twenty one and more final groups mm. on Sunday. But not in the middle of the night in Dubai, over here in Australia where we can come and watch, because you know, I don't watch on TV anymore. I'd have to come out and actually watch at the course.
1: Have, uh, have you set goals for yourself in 2021, Meg? Just just quickly.
2: Not yet, no. To be honest, I don't even know which side of the Atlantic I'm going to be playing mm-hmm. on yet. So it's um I tried to move away from kind of outcome goals a little bit and to, you know, to do the boring focus on the process thing. Yep. Um but there's still there's still things you want to tick off and and places that you want to get to. So we'll, uh, I'll do what I need to do over the winter and then mm. see where that takes me.
1: Just get more starts than 2020. Yeah, <laughs> I, think yeah, I think that's a, play, play, more, play more
0: tournament yeah. and golf. They can be a bit limiting goals, can't they, Meg? You've got to be a bit careful with it. Not in as much as, you know, I want to be the world number one, that's a goal. There's not sort of limiting in that sense, but it, it draws your focus somewhere where it may not necessarily need to be for you to actually improve. It it points you in directions that you you might be missing other stuff if you do that. So there's You've got to be a bit careful with goals, I think. Uh, that's been the, the upshot yeah, for, for all that. So. I'd
2: agree with that.
0: Yeah, fabulous stuff. Well, hopefully we get to see you. It doesn't look – well, we're certainly not going to have any early year events down here in Australia for the LET. but hopefully we do get to see you before 2021 is over. Who knows what might happen at the back end of the year? And if not, we absolutely look forward to welcoming all the LET and all PGA players back in 2022. But it's been fantastic of you to take some time to chat to us today, Mick. Really enjoyed it as always.
2: Yeah, always enjoy it,
0: guys. Thank you for having me on. Literally the least we could do, Mm -hmm. Logue, and we're always up to the least we can do, isn't it? Yep, indeed, we are. Yep. Thank you, Logue. Great start to 2021, I think, for the podcast and lots of good stuff to look forward to. So thanks to Meg for doing it and thank you for coming in as well. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Rod. Episode 60 of the Good Good Golf Podcast, episode one of the 2021 season in the books. We look forward to your coming when we do it all again next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.